Dear God, I just uh, come before you again today, and I just thank you so much for the opportunity to serve you and to honor you and to glorify your name. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just take the words that you've laid upon my heart here this morning, that you will use them to glorify your name. Whatever is true, seal them up in our hearts. Whatever is false, let them fall by the wayside. Lord, just grow us in whatever capacity we need grown. Lord, if we need encouraged, encourage us. If we need chastised, chastise us. If we need affirmed, then affirm us. But Lord, we just lay this sermon at your feet, and we ask that your will would be done here today. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, we're finishing up a series called First Things First. And if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, I'd encourage you, go back and listen to it. Matt and Chris did a phenomenal job just preaching through the series so far. I get to close it out, and it's, uh, if you haven't been here, they did a phenomenal job. So you've got to go back and listen to it, because I don't have time to re-preach what they taught about. But Chris kicked off the series talking about the battle for our attention, the battle for our attention. And in that series, he set up, like, what are the main themes? What's the main topic that we're really trying to, to help you catch during this time? And what it is is that in the midst of all of the things that we're talking about and putting first things first, there's a battle for something. And the results are either temporary or lasting. And so what we've tried to do is help you understand how to answer the battle and how to answer the questions to make something that's lasting, all right? And so during that time, he challenged us with the fact that whatever uh, has our attention, go ahead and flip to the next slide, whatever, our, uh, whatever battles for our attention either gives us temporary pleasure or lasting fulfillment. Temporary pleasure or lasting fulfillment. And you can put about just about anything in there, but anything of value is going to be lasting. Anything that's not of value is going to be temporary. And then he helped you break down like what part what is that, and what does that look like in your life? And there's a statement that he made that I absolutely loved, but it's an idol can be anything that gets between you and God, literally anything, and it, doesn't, it can be good or bad, but if it comes before God, it's an idol. And so we may not put up little Buddha statues or anything like that in our, in our homes, some people do, but most of us have things that vie for our attention that we put before God. That's actually an idol. And so Chris shared about that. If you weren't here, go back, listen to it, and find out if you're an, idol, an idolater, okay? It's not bad. It's, it's bad, right? So you just need to go back and find out if you are. So that was the first one. And Matt challenged us last week on our battle for our identity, our battle for our identity, temporary and lasting. What are the things that set that up in our lives as well? And if you weren't here, he came up with a new word. Love new words, okay? It should be in the dictionary. Probably isn't. But it's up here, all right? So we are molded into our identity or we're transformed by our identity in Christ. So if you're molded, it means that the world around you is shoving things upon you. Are you, are you becoming what other people are making you become? Are you listening to the lies of the enemy? Or are you allowing yourself to be transformed by the work of Christ in your life? And I think I reversed the slides in my head. But if you go back to the first, the one that was on there before, when we answer this question, it, it answers are we looking for temporary significance in our identity or are we looking for lasting purpose in our identity and that's something that we each have to answer in every single one of our lives but the answer in both of the sermons and what we really want in even today's sermon the answer is about putting christ first whenever we look at any of these things or in any of these battles we have to ask ourselves is christ first in our attention is christ first in our identity. And today we're talking about the battle for our relationships. The battle for our relationships. And the tension is the same. And we have to ask ourselves, what are the things that are getting in the way of those 
relationships that God has given to us. And so what we're going to be answering today in the question is, is this tension that exists. Are we looking for temporary validation in your relationships? Or are you looking for lasting worth in your relationships? Temporary validation or lasting worth? And we're both, we're all looking for one or the other. We're all answering the question because we're all looking for relationships. There isn't a single person on the face of this earth that isn't looking for relationships. But how you answer the question is really unique to you. But I want to build the tension of why is this such a battle? Like, why are relationships such a big deal in the world around us? Why are they so big to us individually as well? And it started all the way back at the creation of the world. And I want to take us to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. You and I, as we sit here today, we are literally created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now the reality is the world around you wants to even question whether or not God did that right, all right? But, I mean, it is. It's the world we live in. Most, a lot of people, some churches don't even believe that this is accurate anymore. So that's really a choice that you have to decide, but I'm going to tell you right now, God created us in his image, male and female. He created us in his image. It was from the beginning of time, and at that moment in time in his image, they were not alone. It was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on in chapter 2, look at what happens in this. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. We were, not, we were created for these relationships. And he says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. And that's why a man leaves his father and his mother and they are united to his wife. And they became one flesh. Right? We leave, we cleave, we unite with our wife, we become one. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. We have to ask ourselves what was going on in this. Man and woman being created in the image of God here. There's a beautiful creation, but there's a lot more here that we have to realize was established in the first creation, in the beginning of time. That we were created for these relationships, that it was not good for us to be alone. So from the beginning of time, God knew that there was going to be this battle for our tension. Right? He knew there's going to be these things that were either lasting or temporary, lasting or significant. And when we read that, they were naked and they knew no shame. That goes, I mean, naked and not knowing shame, that's good to start with, all right? That's a good spot to be. But that's not exactly all that that passage means, right? It means that there was no taint in the relationship between a man and a woman. The husband and wife, they had no brokenness. There was no shame between one another. They could look each other in the eye. They weren't hiding a single thing. So in the very beginning of time, what we understand and why we struggle with relationships even to this day is because we were created for relationship. That's the reality. You and I here, every day we draw breath, we're created for that relationship. So we have to understand that that's the beginning of the story. So after we have this beautiful creation of man and woman in the Garden of Eden, right, God gives them one command, right? only one, don't eat from the tree of good and evil. Don't eat from that one thing. Just, you, I am enough, he says. I just have one rule. If you just follow this one rule, you will live forever. In fact, you get, if you follow this one rule, you get to eat from the tree of life. The promise, you will live forever. But if you do that one thing, it'll be broken. Well, we know how the story goes. It didn't work out very well. Um, the one thing they couldn't do, that's one thing that they decided was a lie straight from God. Well, God, you are not enough, and we think you're lying, and we're going to eat from the tree. So they did. So since 
the beginning of time, humans, represented in Adam and Eve, have been eating from the low-hanging fruit from the tree of temporary validation. Now, we don't know if Eve was seducing Adam and tantalizing him with the fruit. We don't know if she was nagging him and he finally gave in. We don't know, right? But it was temporary. It could have been one or the other. And as men, you both know you would have answered the same way, all right? It doesn't matter. We give in eventually. It was temporary. The temporary validation that was received from that moment cost the world a whole lot of heartache. And income, broken relationships. Broken relationships from that temporary validation. And my friends, we have been doing it ever since. We settle. We settle because in the moment it feels good, whatever that happens to be. And then as soon as that happened, God comes in, says, hey Adam, where are you at? He says, I'm over here. Why are you hiding? Well, I'm kind of ashamed. Hey Adam, why are you ashamed? He says, because of that woman you gave me, uh, she made me eat. And God's like, no, 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 no. You knew the rules. And ever since then, Adam and man, mankind, because we're represented in Adam and Eve, because we're both created in his image, we have been blaming God for the violation of his rules ever since. If God wouldn't have set it up that way, we never would have done it. It's his fault, or her fault, or their fault. We've been playing the blame game ever since. Because in all of our relationships, what happens is brokenness starts because of somewhere along the line, we are temporarily giving into some form of validation that should have never been given into. All right, so we have to ask ourselves why does that happen? Well, it happens because we're created for relationship. And then because we're fallen human beings, we make poor choices along the way. And then God can come in and redeem them, but we have to ask ourselves, is it really, is it really something that we trust, that God's capable of fulfilling within us? We've been eating from the low-hanging fruit of temporary relational validation ever since the beginning of time. They literally could have had the promise of lasting life forever and ever in the presence of God, and they chose to do the one thing he said not to do. Well, let's be real. We do it every day. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this. It's the same question Adam and Eve had to answer. And you have to answer it right here. You, you can't look at your spouse or your significant other or anybody sitting beside you can God alone satisfy your relational desires? Is that even possible? Because according to God, in the book of Genesis, He was. He gave us everything we needed. And we've been doubting Him ever since. So let me show you, though, because that's Old Testament. You're like, yeah, but Donnie, that's Old Testament. That's archaic. That was over 6,000 years ago. Those rules don't apply to today's society, right? Okay, let's see what Jesus says. Because clearly, if it's from Jesus, he makes all things easier, right? Because Jesus is full of love. So because Jesus is just a loving God, he never makes things hard, right? Well, let's see what our good old Savior tells us. Luke 14, 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, huh? does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, in fact, if they don't even hate their own life, such a person, what's the word? Say that again. Such a person cannot be my disciple. 
This is, if you have a red letter Bible, that's in red letters. This is Jesus' words. If you don't hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, such a person cannot even be my own disciple. Wow. What does that mean? It's a good question. Hate actually means to love less. Love less. If anyone comes to me and does not love their father and mother less than me, anybody that loves their, does not love their wife and children less than me, anybody that loves their brothers and sisters less than me, if anyone doesn't even love themselves less than me, that person is not even fit to be my disciple. Wow. Tough words. Reminds me of what happened in the garden, right? Just like God had to be first in the garden, Jesus still claims he has to be first in our lives. And if he isn't first in our lives, we aren't even fit to be his. This tension is real. This battle for our relationships is real. He wants to be first in our lives. But there's good news because just like in the garden, there's a promise of eternal life. There's a promise of a tree to eat from. Christ gives us the same thing. He tells us what the positive is. He tells us what the promise is. He tells us what the lasting worth is. All right, let's read what he tells us is there for us if we choose to love everybody less but him. Go ahead. Peter spoke up. We have left everything, Jesus, to follow you. That's what we've done. We've loved everybody less, God. But truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers, sisters or mother, or father or children, whoever, no one who has loved them less for me or the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Wow. So if you're willing to love everything else less, God promises to give you more. But he has to be first. He has to be first. This promise doesn't happen unless it's first. But he goes on. It's not just in this present age. Keep going. Homes, brothers, Sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with, I love how he puts in along with persecutions. So not only is he promising that you're going to receive a hundredfold more than what you leave behind, he's also promising you're going to receive a hundredfold persecution. All right? I love how Jesus kind of like sneaks that one in there. So on top of the blessing, you get persecutions. And in the age to come, you will also receive eternal life. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Not all, but many. So when we read that, do we see what he's building as the tension? Do we sense what it is he says the temporary and the lasting is there for? Do we sense that battle for the temporary that, yeah, but I just love all these other people more than God. And he's like, no, love me first. And all these things are going to be added, right? That seems consistent the rest of, with the rest of the scriptures. So when you, when you look at your relationships, I just want you to understand, I get that there's a battle. Because who on earth would tell you, well, you just need to hate your kids? <laughs> Trust me, I do already. And I'm just joking. <laughs> Don't need to tell you to do that one. You just need to hate your wife. <laughs> okay, <laughs> got it. No, not what he's saying. It means love them less. Put them one step below Christ being first in your life. And then when we do that, all those things, all those, all those relationships that we're trying to fill our lives with are going to fall into place. There's another promise in Luke chapter 12, verse 31. It says, but seek his kingdom, some translations say first, and these things will be added and given to you as well. Seek him first, and all these things will be added. He knows you need them. 
He's not telling you that you're supposed to give up relationships. For crying out loud, that's why he created us, is to go into the earth and multiply and make relationships. He's just saying they better not become first, just like our identity and just like our attention. Our relationships cannot come before him. He has to be first in our lives, putting Christ before all of our relationships as a mandatory element of being a disciple of Christ. The question is, can we do it? It's kind of hard. I want to give you a story about when, I, when this became real to me. And I've been a Christian since I was three years old. I don't, my dad tells me when I told, or told me, he's dead now, but he told me about when I gave my life to Christ. I don't remember the day I was three. But I remember I have loved Jesus my entire life. But it wasn't until I was 21 until this whole idea of putting Christ first became real to me. I was going on a mission trip, my first mission trip ever. I was 21 years old, I was in college, and uh, made one more commitment where I was putting God first again in my life. If you've been a Christian and through your teen years, you know how many times you rededicate your life. Um, countless. All right, so it's one more time, I'm telling him sorry, and you're first. And so I go on this trip, and I get the opportunity to, I go over to Macau, it's a, it's a small island off of China, it used to be a country, now it's a province of China. But we go in there and we get to take a trip to mainland China. We go into Guangzhou, China. I get to meet a guy by the name of Samuel Lam, Pastor Samuel Lam. You can research him, you can Google him, you can find out about him, you can read a book, Bold as a Lamb. You'll find all kinds of information about him. But anyways, he's one of the most well-known Christian pastors in China because of his persecutions. But anyways, we got to meet him as a team, and I got to sit at his feet and hear his testimony. 21 years old, and he's telling us about his imprisonment. He was imprisoned for 20 years for preaching the gospel of Christ in communist China because he wouldn't do what the government said. So while he was in there, he faced merciless beating. I mean, if you want to read about it, I'm not even going to go into it. It was terrible, but he's telling us a story. And he's telling us this. He finds out one year before he finally gets out. The fact that he lived is absolutely amazing, but he got out, and one year before he got out, his wife had died. Like, Wow. He goes through the rest of the story, he tells us at the very end, and he just has this radiating joy, a smile on his face. He stands there before our team. There are only about 15 to 20 of us. I can't remember with how many were there, but it's between that number. And in that moment, I didn't care how many of us were there because he looked into the crowd and I was listening. He says, and if God asked me to do it again, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I'm like, Wow. You see, because at this moment in time, I was a 21-year-old virgin. I'd committed my life to being pure and abstinent before God, before I got married. I didn't have a girlfriend at the time either. It was not hard at that point in time. <laughs> so, but I was committed to keeping it that way. So we got back to the hotel of Guangzhou, Guangzhou China, and God's really convicting me. And so I go down into the stairwell of the, of the hotel, and I sit on the bottom step of the stairwell. I'm having it out with God, and I'm like, God, I don't, I don't know if I could commit to being 21 years in, 20 years in prison, that means I'd be 41 years old. It's kind of past the marrying age, and I don't really want to die a 41-year-old virgin. It was a big deal to me, okay? I, it really was. I mean, it sounds kind of funny, but the reality is that was not how I wanted to die. It really didn't. It's not how I wanted to live either, trust me. But I just heard a guy who was willing to give everything all over again. And in that moment, in the stairwell in Guangzhou, China, I committed my life to Christ, saying, Lord, you are enough. You will always be first. There will never be another. I will surrender my life, and if it means dying a 41-year-old virgin, 
virgin, that is what I will become. Now, fast forward 25 years, praise God, I didn't have to follow through on that commitment. But I was willing to, because that's where I learned to make God first. It wasn't that he wanted me to be lonely. It wasn't that he wanted me to be single the rest of my life. What he wanted to know is, was I willing to make him first in my life? And he knew what I needed to surrender because he knew where my struggle was. He knew what I was holding on to desperately. Now, the good news is, on that same, very same trip, I met my future wife. She was a missionary in China. All right? She just happened to be there at the same time. And she had two more years, and I vowed to God. I, well, I told my buddy, I didn't vow to God. I told my buddy, if I'm still writing her, because this is before internet and all that, I told him, I was like, if I'm still writing her in two years, I'm going to marry that woman. I did. I kept my word. <laughs> but during that time, it wasn't that God, I've been married to her now for 23 years. This is the most beautiful gift God has ever given to me. This is the most special thing I could ever imagine. And from that, he has given me an incredible family. But what would have happened if I wouldn't have made him first? I don't know. I can't imagine living without God first in my life. All I know is that when we sing those songs, that he's faithful to give you a hundred times over what you deserve. If you know my wife, he kept his promise. You didn't have to amen that. <laughs> he gave me more than I can imagine. With my kids, he's given me more than I can imagine. Why? Because God keeps his promises. He is enough. But we have to ask ourselves, is he enough for us? I'm grateful that he's kept his promises in my life. But I hope that you see the battle, the tension, because it's not about my battle, it's about your battle. It's about the answer to the question that you have to give. And this is the question that you have to answer. If Christ is first in all things in your life, will he satisfy your longing to be loved? If you genuinely have your stairwell moment and you honestly put him first, do you really believe he will satisfy your longing? And I'd even venture to say your need to be loved. Do you trust that he is enough? Because I can't stand up here and convince you that he is. That's a decision that you have to make all on your own. Now that's kind of deep. I'll let it set for a second. It's a question that you have to answer. But I want to give you some social media ways and temporary ways that kind of play out. That's like a big deal. How do we, how do we make this decision on a daily basis? How does this play out in a little bit more of a practical way okay so um i've been i've been counseling a long time i do a lot of counseling and i've been a youth pastor for many years before i became uh in senior leadership during that time i've done a lot of surveys or research on surveys of youth and why there's such an increase in depression and anxiety and suicide and all the results point back to social media we're now more connected than ever and now more lonely than we ever were before so you have to ask yourself, and all the research is saying, now, it, they don't study adults. Why? Because adults have been depressed and anxious for a long time. We've been committing suicide for a while. And I, I, I mean it, with, it really has been happening. So we just think that it's a product of loneliness, which oftentimes it is. 
But the reality, when it started affecting our kids, we're like, why are these kids so stressed out? It shouldn't be that way. And so now we've had to do the research, and we're finding that social media is a horrible, horrible thing that is, is affecting our kids' lives. And so when we look at what's going on in their life, what happens is there's, they, they're looking for that temporary validation. And so they post stuff on their, we have, the, we have Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and TikTok and Twitter and all the other things that are out there. And do we get the likes? Do we get the stories? Do we get people to comment on them? Do we get the hearts? Do we get the loves? What are the things that we're looking for? And every single one of those, what they found is there's a little bit of release of dopamine in the brain. And if you know anything about dopamine, what you do, what you know is that you like it, all right? And so whenever there's repeated behavior, another dopamine dump, a little dopamine, a little dopamine, and we like it, and we like it, and we like it. So they keep doing it more and more and more. The problem is, if it's not enough. It doesn't satisfy. Why, why doesn't social media satisfy? Why is, it, why is that temporary validation not enough for our generation today? We're more digitally connected, the world is smaller than it's ever been, and we're more alone than ever. It's this right here. Because social media is an imposter of relationships. You're created for a relationship, and somehow or another, social media has worked its way into our lives and made us think that it's actually real. And it's not. And yet we go to it time and time again. And I get this, I get it, all right? I get it. When I first got Facebook, all right, I was there before Facebook ever existed. Many of you were too. I know you were, all right? So when I got my first account, I wanted those 100 friends, right? Because your, your popular friends had 100 friends, right? So I wanted 100. And then I started looking at all my ministry buddies. Well, they had over 500. Well, I needed 500. If I'm going to compete with them, I got to get 500, right? Well, then they started getting 1,000. <gasps> well, I got to get 1,000. And on and on it went. And then you go back and you look. Did anybody sign up? Did anybody accept my request? Did they request me? Okay, maybe you weren't there. But then you post something. And some of my buddies, they had 200 likes and 300 likes and 400 likes. And then you post something and you're like, you got three. Well, that was terrible. I got to post something different. I need more likes. And then you post another one. And then you post a picture. Nobody likes your picture. Now that really sucks because nobody even likes you. I got a thousand friends and nobody reads my page? Oi, I want to tell you right now, I'm clean. Four years ago, I cut myself off. I am standing before you and I don't miss it a bit. Now, I would know, I know, I know what's coming up. Yeah, but Donnie, you don't understand. It can be used for so much good. Yeah, I know. I check it every now and I got on it about 15, 20 minutes the other day after the State of the Union address and then after the Democratic Caucus. Yeah, it's fan-freaking-tastic what we do to each other on there. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's restoring relationships left and right. It's great. Yeah. We're trying to figure out how do I unfriend that person without them knowing. Why? Because it's an imposter. It is not real. And yet we, it is causing incredible damage to marriages and our psyche and our kids' relationships. And we let it come into our homes willingly, younger and younger and this is what we've got to understand is that social media is the epitome of temporary validation i'm not gonna lie feels good when you get a couple hundred likes on something it does can't get through all the comments but it feels good social media you want to know what temporary validation is just ask yourself what do you do with social media hmm all right that's a negative view all right now let's look at a positive view how do we keep balance right we just read that god said hate your family, right? Well, that this seems weird in our lives. But our families are not inherently evil. 
Why? Because God told us to do it. He built us. He created us for relationship. So how do we hold that into balance? If I'm honest in my own life, my family has taken first place before God at times. My wife and my relationship with my, with my wife has taken first place in my life. And when that happens, I immediately repent. And I ask God because I promised Him I would never let anybody be in front of Him. So I'm not going to let my relationship with my wife take precedence over my relationship with Him. I'm not going to let my children take precedence over my relationship with Him nor is anybody else going to fill that void. But you have to answer that question for yourself. So how do we hold family in balance in relationships? Or how do we hold family in relationships in balance? Put in any relationship you want there, okay? So maybe you don't struggle with your family because you don't like them and you can ignore them well, all right? So maybe it's another way. Maybe it's another relationship that you have to do, all right? But this is, my, this is the four-step process that I keep in my mind. God first, family second, work third, church fourth, all right? God first. When I wake up every morning... I guarantee you I pray every morning, first thing, before I get out of bed even. And second thing I try to do is I always have devotions in the morning, and they aren't about what I'm preaching on. It's not, I don't substitute my sermon planning for my devotions. Why? Because God is first, first part of my day. Now maybe you aren't a morning person, you need it to be the last part of your day. Let your last part of your day be the first part of your next day, all right? However you want to look at it, all right? You can do it that way. But God has to be first. Family second. In my family, my wife is first before my kids. Why? Because my kids are leaving. They already left. I'm an empty nester now. And my wife is staying. Why? Because I committed to her staying. So I want to make sure she's there and we're in good shape. She's always been first. Never have my kids replaced my wife. Why? I want my kids to have the same thing in their marriages. Third thing is work. The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. It's that simple. Church, fourth. Now, the joy is... My church and work go together, but here's what I know. Church does not replace God. And it does a lot in a lot of pastors' lives. It doesn't in my life. I love you guys dearly. I really do. But you don't come before my family, and you definitely don't come before God. Now, I'm glad I don't have to struggle with figuring out this balance. You guys do. If you're not in full-time ministry, this is attention. And you have to weigh it. you got to ask God, Lord, how do I do that? We get it. It's a balance. It's a challenge. But you got to figure out your balance. Now, I've heard many pastors say you flip those around. I don't care. You do what you got to do. I'm just telling you what mine is. How do you, how do you put those in balance? I can, I can tell you what I do in my own family. I make sure that none of the relationships that I'm engaged in, none of them, fill the void that only Christ is meant to complete. None of the relationships that I have are allowed to fill the void that only Christ was meant to complete. And this is easy. With, with my wife, I have never looked at my wife as being Christ to me. I have never put that burden upon her. It would be impossible for her to be Jesus to me. If she is not fulfilling my needs, then I have put way too much emphasis on who I think she should be. Hear me on that. If I think my wife is not meeting my needs, then I have elevated her to the place of God. Wives, you do the same thing to your husband. If he's not who he should be, you just elevate him to God. Because only God can fill those voids. My wife and I, we do ministry together. We do life together. She is the greatest addition to the team that I could ever imagine. I can't imagine doing my life alone. 
But Christ was enough before, and I know he'd be enough again. Why? Because he was. The other thing, I've been in public ministry for longer than my children have been alive. I have never expected my children to live up to some standard of expectation. In all my years, I have never said, act a certain way because people are watching. Again, I love you guys, but I don't care what you think about my family. Because God is first. I care what he thinks about my family. What I've discovered that is true to his promises. When I keep that order right, it falls into place. When we mix it up, that's when we get tense. That's when we get anxious. That's when we get frustrated. That's when our kids don't measure up to our expectations. I didn't have expectations that they had to measure up to. All I ever wanted them to do is love Jesus. That's all I've ever taught them to do. It's all I ever want them to do. What they become and what they do, I don't care. I mean, I care that they work, but I don't care what they work at. I care that they bring Jesus into whatever they work at. That's what I care about. Why? Because according to the Word of God, I get to die. And according to the Word of God, and I say I get to die, I get to die. And according to the Word of God, I am a temporary father figure to my children. Temporary. I am a blip on the screen. But I get to be an example of my heavenly father to my children. I get to. I don't have to. I get to. And I want to point them to who Christ is. I want them to have the best reflection of who Christ is in my life. That's how I answer this battle of relationship. That's how we keep that balance. But here's the reality. You have to answer this question for yourself. There's no one that can live your life for you. When you walk out those doors, you're on your own with the decisions that you're going to make. So I have a list of questions I want to give to you as we bring this to a close. I could tell you all the promises that God is faithful in hundredfold. As a family, we have seen God do, including the persecutions, we have seen God hold his promises true a hundredfold, even when we moved to North Carolina this last time. He has fulfilled his promises in ways that it would only sound like we're bragging if I told you how he'd done it. But when you think about your life, ask yourself these questions. How many extra drinks, how many drugs have you taken so that you can fit in with your friends, so you can have that temporary validation? How many things have you done to impress your friends so you can get that momentary satisfaction. Back in the day in college, I was a pretty big daredevil. You dared me, I did it. It was just the way it was. The bigger the dare, the more friends I made. I was an adrenaline junkie. Talk about dopamine. I could feel it. It was just adrenaline. It's also a drug. I loved every minute of it. And the bigger the dare, why? Because we want that temporary validation. You want to know what happened? It had to be bigger the next time. More dangerous. Or stupid. <laughs> yeah, I won't go there. How many hours? How many hours have you spent posting and chatting, just hoping to get those likes, those hearts, those thumbs up, someone following your story, something to give you that satisfaction that someone cares? How many of you, how many hours have you spent checking to see who's responded to your last post? How much stress do you allow to exist in your life just trying to get the approval of man 
How many hours have you spent at work trying to receive validation from your boss, from your coworker, or from your friends? Just want them to like you. How many hours? How many extra hours? How, how deep did your lust take you on your last internet search? Just hoping that there would be some validation, temporary validation, but it was validating in the moment. How many hours have you spent trying to fill that void in the internet? How many inappropriate jokes have you told just to get a laugh? Hmm. Go to the guy's locker room. Happens all the time. How many sexual relationships have you engaged in? Just hoping to get some satisfaction. Some momentary moments of fulfillment. How many illicit relationships have you been willing to sacrifice yourself for? Just because of that longing to be loved. How much stress do you have in your life when your kids just don't seem to measure up to your expectations? Mm. Especially when they don't measure up to the way that someone else's kids do. Why don't you just act like them? Hmm. Or how lonely do you feel when your spouse just isn't who they need to be? That affair is looking awful tempting. They make me feel really good. Donnie, you just don't even understand. They even love Jesus. We talk about God all the time together. Mm. I'd be rich if I'd had an opportunity to tell you how many times I've heard that excuse for an affair. It's all a lie, folks. It's all temporary. I'm not going to say it doesn't feel good in the moment. That's why it's a battle. You're, I get it. You're longing to be loved. But Christ says He's enough. What we have to ask ourselves is how much low-hanging fruit are you consuming right now because it brings you temporary validation? How much low-hanging fruit are you consuming because it is temporary and it does feel good? But it's because you don't trust that Christ is really who He says He is. And see, nobody can answer that question but for you. And I mentioned a moment ago that I get to die. Here's what I know. This world that we live on is just temporary. And when I say I get to die, I genuinely mean it. The one thing I can promise you beyond a shadow of a doubt is I will not make it off this earth without dying. Even for those of you that believe Jesus is coming back soon, I still believe I'm going to die before then. Okay? And I get to go see Jesus. I get to go see my brother. And he says that he's my brother, right? So how do I meet my brothers down here on earth that I haven't seen in a while? For those of you that know, that allow me to do this. I give you a great big hug, or I punch you, and I squeeze you, or I lift you up, or it's a big slap on the back. Why? Because I haven't seen you in a while. Did it to a couple people this morning already. So I know that if I stay consistent to my character that when I get to see Jesus, I'm going to run up to him because I haven't seen him yet. And I'm going to give him the biggest bear hug because he said he is my brother. And he was human. So he's going to look something like me. All right? 
so I'm going to give him a great big hug, and I'm going to wrap him up in my arms. And the one thing I hope that he tells me, the one thing I'm longing to hear and I'm living for day in and day out, is good job, Donnie. Good job. That's all I want. That's the only thing I'm looking for out of my relationship with God because this is what I know. If he has been faithful a hundredfold here on this earth to give me everything that he promised down here, and he says that it's even better up there, then there is nothing to worry about. There is absolutely nothing to worry about. This is all bonus. Whatever is down here is bonus to what we get up there. But again, that's me. I can't make you live like that. I can only pray to God that you would live like that. I long for the day when a church, the church, God's church, lives on mission and on purpose with putting Christ first in all things. It would change the way we live day in and day out. So the question I want to close with is what do you want to hear from Christ on your first day of eternity? When, you, when He either wraps you up or you wrap Him up. It's going to happen, one of the two. What do you want Jesus to say to you? I pray that it's well done. Well done, kid. Well done. Question is, how are you going to answer that? Are we worthy to be his disciples today? Are we going to settle for the temporary? Or are we going to live for the lasting? Let's pray.